Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. Good morning, Christ Church. Morning. I always say this when I come up here, but I'm excited to, to preach the God's Word today. Because I always am. But the thing is, this passage, um, that, uh, which is intense, right? This passage has been on my mind since May of 2020. So I, for, for whatever reason, the Lord kind of put this on my mind and I was thinking about it and I thought about it so much that I decided to make a video of it and post it on YouTube. So I made the video and then I looked at the video and I'm like, this isn't exactly what I want it to be. So I ended up just stashing it on my computer, but I kept praying and thinking about this passage over the next like 10 months. And then I, you cannot believe my surprise when Pastor Craig about three weeks ago or so emailed me and said, hey, Nate, would you want to preach on Exodus 32? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is it. This, is God, this must be what the Lord was preparing, preparing me for. So this passage, this sermon has been in the slow cooker, okay? It's been crock-potted, and now we're ready to pull that thing right off the bone if you know what I mean. So I'm really excited to get to, to preach this sermon to you. Um, but as you can imagine, if you've been thinking about a passage for 10 months, there's a lot that you want to say. And I recognize, uh, you know, they're not going to give me an hour and a half. So, so I have, I have definitely trimmed this thing down. And I've talked to my dad, Pastor John, Pastor, John, Pastor Craig, my mom, my wife, uh, Audrey, I think who's here, and Malachi, and a bunch of other people trying to figure out what am I gonna, what am I gonna talk about? So the focus of our sermon, there's so many things that could be said about this passage and its context, um, but there, and I encourage you this week to read Exodus 32 in its entirety. But what we're gonna focus on is intercessory prayer. And if you've got a notebook and a pen, I encourage you to take it out. If you wanna take notes on your phone, no judgment. Just figure out a way because we're gonna have, there's some things that we gotta talk through. Intercessory prayer is what our focus is gonna be. Now, in the, in the Hebrew, there are two words that are sort of um, words that encapsulate what we mean in English by intercessory prayer. The first word is atar. Atar, uh, it happens actually eight times in Exodus 8 through 10, and it's actually Pharaoh who says it to Moses. And the idea behind the word atar is that we are to go, uh, is going before the Lord, asking that he change the course of events. That's one word. The second word is tehenna. And tehenna, I don't actually know if I'm pronouncing that right. I'm not a scholar. But tehenna is the other word, which is a cry out for mercy, either for yourself or for someone else. And these two words sort of show us what intercessory prayer is. And this is the definition that we're going to use today. So if you write, write this down, if you have pen and paper, intercessory prayer is consistently going before the Lord. It is consistently going before the Lord to change the course of events. Intercessory prayer is consistently going before the Lord to change the course of events. 
And that is the type of prayer that we see from Moses today. Now, if you have been in the church a long time like I have, when you're thinking about intercessory prayer, there's probably somebody who comes into your mind who is an intercessor. For me, there's four people. My mom, my grandma, Ken and Sherry Turnbull. Those are my intercessors. That's who I think of when I think of intercessory prayer. Um, and, And sometimes I'm tempted to think, man, intercessory prayer, that's so awesome. I'm glad somebody's doing that. Not me, obviously, right? Because this is not, no. I'm glad that these people have been designated by God. And it is true that some people have a special spiritual gift and they sort of run in that all the time. They sort of live in a culture of intercessory prayer. And that's not for everybody, but we are all a part of the holy priesthood of God. That's what the New Testament teaches us. As Christians, every one of us has been inducted into that priesthood. And so you are a priest of God, I am a priest of God, and one of the roles of a priest is to intercede before God for people. So it's for all of us. So if you're one of those intercessors, get hyped, because we're talking about your, your gift today. If you're like me and you've intercessed for somebody before, but that's not where you, ri- like where you ride most of the time, we're gonna prune, we're gonna grow, that's gonna be exciting. And if you're in here and you have never intercessed for anyone, you've never done that, I got good news for you. There is more abundance that God has for you than what you are currently experiencing. There is more love and more hope and more joy and more miracles In fact, the stories in your life are going to get better because you're going to begin intercessing for people. So I'm so excited to begin that with you. Let's pray and we'll get into the passage. Father, I pray that you'd be with me as I speak your word to your people. I pray that a movement of intercession, a ministry of intercession would begin for some people today because of what we're going to talk about. And I pray that they'd be motivated as they better understand what intercessory prayer is. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. Okay, so our passage, and it's intense. This is, this is intense stuff. What is going on? God is furious with his people. He is so furious, he's going to destroy them entirely. Why? Because he has unleashed a flurry of miracles, a flurry of plagues upon Israel's enemies to get them out of Egypt. And when the Egyptians finally say, okay, we're going to let them go, they have seller's remorse because they're like, it's like hundreds of thousands of free laborers. Let's go back and get them. So they do. And, the, and, and, the, and God takes the Israelites through the Red Sea. The, for whatever reason, the charioteers follow and squish, they're all dead. The, then God leads the Israelites to Mount Sinai. This is the mountain in Horeb where God revealed himself to Abraham years earlier in the form of a burning bush. Now here's what you got to imagine. Hundreds of thousands of people are surrounding this mountain. If you've ever been in Heinz Field and you've ever been in the rafters like I have, you're seeing, you know, 65 to 70,000 people around you. Imagine that surrounding one thing, a football stadium or a football field. Imagine that several times over surrounding this mountain and then thick darkness covers the sky and a massive black cloud descends upon the top of that mountain and fire is coming out, storms are raging and a voice from the cloud says, I am the Lord your God, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. And then he speaks the 10 commandments, the second of which is you shall make no idols. That's gonna become important in a second here. 
After this, you can imagine, uh, Israel sends the leaders to Moses and they're like, and I just kind of mentioned like a, a Toby Flenderson type of guy from Dunder Mifflin. He's like, uh, Moses, this is great. It's kind of inappropriate. Our women are swooning. Our men are crying. All our babies' diapers are full. We, we have to stop. You got to go to the top of the mountain and we'll just do whatever you say because we're freaking out down here. We're worried we're going to die. So Moses is like, that's fine. I'll go to the top of the mountain. He spends some time with God. God is actually pleased by this decision. This is a good thing. But Moses is gone for 40 days and 40 nights. He doesn't have any food. So now the Israelites are like, our leader who brought us out of Egypt is now dead. Who's next man up? It's Aaron. He's sort of this milksop kind of pathetic human being. Nice guy, certainly, but he's not like a brave, bold leader like Moses necessarily. So they come to Aaron and they're like, Aaron, what we need is not you. We need an idol that's going to go before us. Now you're like, didn't the cloud just say, didn't God just tell them not to make any idols? Why are they already turning against this? Here's why. Culturally speaking, every, every culture had a representation of their God that was the centerpiece of their religious and ritual life. And he sort, it sort of kept cohesion among the people together. And then this, but then you'll notice if you, if you read the beginning of Exodus, they asked for this God to go before them. What do they mean? Before them into battle. When other, if, if a people group didn't have a God, what this said to the cultures around them was, this is easy prey. There's nobody protecting these people. They have no God. They have no altars. They have, they have no image. And so they're like, yeah. So, so the Israelites are in a new land surrounded by Canaanites. And they're like, if we don't get something that sort of represents who we are to show people, we've got a bunch of lions around us and we're the antelope. So Aaron, make us an idol. And Aaron's probably done this in Egypt. He's good at this. So he's like, okay, I don't want the people to kill me. But I also did hear the cloud say, make no idols. So compromise. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to compromise. And the Old Testament is full of good compromises, says no one who ever read the Old Testament. Aaron's like, okay, I'm building an idol. So he builds it. And what does he do? He's like, okay, we're going to worship this idol. And it looks kind of like uh, uh, bowls that, uh, a bowl god from Egypt and kind of like a bowl god from Canaan. So we're going to fit in. That's great. The people are going to love that. But We're going to slap the name Yahweh on this thing. Compromise, right? We've got a God that looks like other people's gods, but it's still Yahweh. So what does he say? He says, Israel, this is the God that, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. We're going to have a festival for Yahweh this week. And they're like, woo! And they revel and do a bunch of stuff God hates. And that is why God is furious. He's like, after all the things that I've shown you, After all the things that I've demonstrated my power before you, this, within less than two months of Moses being gone, this is where you're at. How? But you got to understand it's worse than that. God's plan to save the entire world, you, me, all of us, is dependent on this group of people. This group. And now the only pathway that exists to God has been desecrated completely. They have distorted the one pathway that humanity has to God. And, and, and so God is like, I have to start over. The stakes are so high. That's a calf joke. Okay. 
Uh, it took, you, took you some time, but you figured it out, right? The stakes are so high. And that's why God is like, I've got to intervene. And that's when Moses intervenes. Let's read that exchange together. I'm going to start at the seventh verse. This is Exodus chapter 32, and it says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have, them, and have made for themselves an idol in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are the gods that brought you, out of, uh, brought you up, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them and then make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring the dis this disaster upon your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land, I promised them, and it will be an inheritance for them forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. Moses intercedes and he saves the Israelites' lives. Now there's a lot that I'd like to say in terms of, of how we intercess before the Lord. There's a lot that I'd like to say about the words that Moses is saying. I don't have time to get into it except to say one thing. Notice how Moses appeals to the character of God when he prays, when he is making intercession for people. This is how we do this. We go, a lot of times when we're praying, we just sort of shoot prayers off and, and we're not really thinking about, is, this, is the prayer that I'm asking consistent with the character of God? And then, is the, the, is the prayer that I'm asking consistent with the, with the character of God in this situation? And in this situation, what kind of character is God trying to produce in the specific people that I'm praying for? If you want God to answer your prayers, you've got to come in alignment, in an understanding of his will and his character, or you're going to ask for a lot of things that he's going to say no to. If you want to see him say yes to the prayers that you're asking, this is the pathway, as Moses demonstrated. It doesn't mean he necessarily will. We see Abraham doing the same thing for Sodom and Gomorrah, and God goes, nah, I got to do what I got to do. But this is, this is the pathway to the Lord answering your prayers. But this also does bring up an interesting question, which is this. Did God need Moses' advice here? Is that what, and is that what we're doing when we pray? Are we giving God our really good advice that he needs? Well, let's review what we talked about the last time I preached here. God is omniscient. God is eternal. God is omnipresent. And he is morally perfect. What does that mean? That means that he has, there is no advice that I'm ever going to give that he needs. Ever. God did not need the advice of a shepherd in the 14th century BC in this moment. So what is actually happening here? Two words Pastor Craig used. He used encounter and conversation. Think about those words as we're talking. Encounter and conversation. Okay. When Moses is coming up this mountain for 40 days of intercession, what is he doing? He is injecting himself into the larger story of God. And that is what you are doing in your specific times of prayer and intercession. You are injecting yourself into the story of God. That is what you're doing. And here is the effect that it has. 
that no longer does God's will work around you. It starts to work with you. Let me explain. If you're going to church and you're reading your Bible and you're doing everything that the Bible teaches, but you're not spending time in prayer, God's will is sort of operating around you. You're an operator and you may accidentally find yourself doing the thing that God wants you to do, which would be great. But it is more likely that you're going to do a lot of things that he's not actually wanting you to do. What you're really doing is your thing God's way. Think about that. If you're not praying and spending time in intercession, you're doing your thing God's way. But when we have an encounter with the living God and begin a conversation with him, we are not just operators in his world, we are co-operators with him so that his will can work in and through and with us. And that is what takes place when we pray and we spend specific time, not just praying before we eat or praying before we go to bed, but specific times of prayer and intercession before God and over God's people. That's what's taking place. That's why it is imperative as Christians that we do it so that we're not accidentally bumping into the will of God. No, we are intentionally moving in his will. Like what happened with me in May. In May, I get... I, I get a call. Hey, Nate, study this passage. I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm doing it. Then in January, I get the response. And here I am. It takes specific times of prayer to get stuff like that to happen in your life. If you don't do it, you're an operator. You're not a co-operator with God. That's exactly what's happening with Moses. When he goes up that mountain, he becomes a co-operator in God's larger plan. But there's one more question that I need to answer, which is why did Moses say something that seemed to change God's mind. Why is it that the situation is this? God's wrath seems to be coming against the people of God, and then Moses sort of stops and stands in the middle of it between God and his people. In order to understand that, we need to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have it, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. We're going to be looking at the 15th verse. This is the words of Moses right at the end of his life. And this is what he says to Israel. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore or we will die. This is the moment we were talking about before where they're pooping their diapers, okay? So this is what he's talking about. He's referring to the moment and its climax is in Exodus 32. Then he says, the Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call into account anyone who does not listen to the words that the prophet speaks in my name. In Exodus 34, an editor who is looking at the life of Moses and even the life of Joshua, and he's lived a bit before, he says, no prophet like Moses has come referring to this prophecy that Moses is giving. What does it mean to be a prophet like Moses? Think about the situation he's referring to. The people of God are steeped in their sin, and a prophet goes up on a mountain, and the wrath of God is coming upon those people, but the prophet stops the wrath of God, and the people of God receive mercy. 1,400 years, does this sound familiar? 1,400 years after that moment, another prophet 
got on a cross on a mountain and the wrath of God was coming upon the people of God. And that prophet took the wrath and the justice of God upon himself as a representative from among the Israelites for all of humanity to receive the just punishment that we deserve and the wrath of God stopped upon him and the people that God loved were saved. When Moses goes up on this mountain, he is injecting himself into the larger story of God and something is taking place that Moses could never have thought of or imagined. He is becoming an image of the salvation that God was planning since the foundation of the world. Amen. That's why it happens in this way. Because Moses is becoming an image of the Son of God. And this is the opportunity that we get every time we come before God. For special times of prayer and intercession for an encounter like Moses did that could change everything, but also a conversation with with God so he knows what it is, so that we know and he knows what it is that we're doing. Now let me explain. Um, there are two things, if we're looking at Moses and Jesus, that it means to intercess. Now the significant portion of this is prayer, but there's a portion of doing as well. If you look at what Moses does right after his intercession, he goes down the mountain and he proclaims the law to the people and leads them into the righteousness of God. Jesus is intercessing for us, like we said in the creed today, before the Father, every second of every minute of every day. He is intercessing for us. But he didn't just intercess for us. He came down in the form of a man. He pitched his tent. He dwelt among us to lead us into the righteousness of God. And so part of intercession, especially for specific people, situations, and, 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 and individual persons, part of intercession is not just prayer, but doing. Because what we're doing is we're cooperating with God. When you pray and you say, God, this person has been on my mind, and I'm, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be praying for them, you have to start asking, Lord, put me in situations where I, can, where I can be a part of your will, where I can start being a co-conspirator against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because God doesn't just wanna work around you. He wants to work with you and through you. He is a delegator through and through. And so he is constantly trying to operate in and through and with you to do something powerful in and through and with you. Now, there are two, there are two areas that we usually screw up. We either, you can't pray too much, but you can, you can ask God to do the thing that you're supposed to do, which you won't do. Whatever, he will do what he will do, but he's not gonna do what he's asking you to do. He may raise up someone to replace you, but he will not do what he's asking you to do. And so as we are spending that time in prayer and we get our marching orders, we gotta go do them. We gotta go be a co-conspirator, a, a cooperator with God's will. But then on the other side, if you're a doer who never prays, you're running around like, with a ch like a chicken with his head cut off and just sort of bumping into everything, hoping that you're doing the will of God. And what you have to do is actually do less and spend time, specific times, in prayer and intercession to allow God to work in and through and with you. And what does this look like in real life with real people? I'll tell you one story, and I'm going to close. There was a, there was a college girl in, uh, in Tennessee... Her name was Anna, and Anna was a sweetheart, and she loved the Lord Jesus. 
She, she, was a, a, she was passionate in prayer. She was passionate in her witness. And she came in contact with this sort of arrogant jock. And this arrogant jock and her uh, began studying together, and they started having deep conversations with one another. And a lot of the things she was saying wasn't quite getting through his head, but a couple of things were, were getting through. And, and she started praying for this, this young man. Well, the two of them graduate, and they kind of go their separate ways. But one day... This jock has a, a, a massively humbling experience and he commits his life to Jesus Christ. And that jock's name is Ed Glover. Mm-hmm. Anna is intercessing and praying for Ed Glover because the Lord put it on her heart. And so she's coming before the Lord on behalf of this young man who doesn't fully understand nor appreciate what she's doing. But, on, but, on, but when his baseball career was in shambles, on, at second base of Three River Stadium, Ed Glover gave his life to Jesus Christ. Anna, I know, praise the Lord, right? It's an awesome, awesome thing. When Anna is interceding for this man, She, like Moses, has no idea the bigger story that God is writing. She doesn't know about urban impact and the thousands of people that are going to be uh, affected with the gospel and and brought to to come to know Jesus through that ministry. She doesn't know about the hundreds of people that he's going to mentor so that they become cooperators with God in the ministry. She doesn't know about the thousands of people that his itinerant ministry is going to bring to come to know the Lord Jesus. Just like Moses didn't know that in that moment he's becoming an image of the Son of God. You see, when you're intercessing, and I'll say it right now, this sermon is brought to you by the letter A, which, starts, which just stands for Anna, and the intercession that she did for Ed Glover, because where would I be if she didn't do that for my dad? When you're intercessing for people, you can't just think about the person you're intercessing for, but the generations of people that are gonna be affected by the decisions that this person is going to make. That's what we're doing. So go boldly, Christ Church, before the throne of grace, and you call down heaven, the hound dogs of heaven, for these people in your life, your friends, your family, our country, our leaders, and anyone else. And you call down the hound dogs of heaven, you pray, But when God gives you an opportunity to interact with him, be bold and take it. Be like Moses. Be like our Lord Jesus. And the world can change. Let's pray. Father, I pray and I thank you so much for the intercessions of Anna. I thank you for the intercessions of Moses. And Father, for for the intercessions of your son which are continuing for us every minute of every single day. And Lord, I thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He is constantly with us. He loves us so much. He cares for us so deeply. And Lord, I pray that a ministry of of intercession would begin in this moment as we're standing here that this would be the beginning for someone here of a ministry that isn't gonna end until their life is over. And that people would be impacted for generations 
because of what we're doing right here, right now. I pray that people would go boldly before your throne and bravely to witness. And I pray, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be proud of what we do in our lives. And that when we see you face to face, Lord, that there would be moments of intercession that you would remember and call to our memory and say, I did this then. And we would learn things just like Moses when he came before you at the end. And I'm sure you said, hey son, when I sent my son, I wanted him to look a little bit like you. Pray that something like that is said of us. In Jesus' name, amen.